Hello, and welcome to You Don't Know Lit. My name is Nick Argyris, and this week... Uh, happy Labor Day, everybody. Uh, this week, I'm looking for um, uh, a book about fitness. <laughs> uh, like a book about your body to celebrate Labor Day. <laughs> no days off. <laughs> I'm just reflecting on the fact that, you know... We don't understand the assignment. Famously, in this, on this podcast, we never understand the assignment. Such right. that we could have done a, a really cool theme about like organized labor or unions mm. or even how bad that is if you think that's bad. But no, we mm. decided, hmm, labor is in the title of Labor Day. Let's make this about working out. Let's talk about our bodies. Yeah. And I want to be very clear. I will be talking about my body in gruesome detail gruesome. in this episode. So I hope you guys are ready for that. Uh, I no. also want to know about your bodies. <laughs> oh, God. God. <laughs> For the two people still listening, good morning, campers. My name is Dr. Ian DeYoung. <laughs> I'm a morning. high school English teacher, and I used to be an avid hiker. And today, the fitness book I brought is titled Grandma Gatewood's Walk, colon, the inspiring story of the woman who saved the Appalachian Trail. It's pretty good. Now, did she walk it or did she hike it? Because I never have known the difference between those two well, things. Did Ian? We're going to get into it, Joseph. Ian, did you it's, just um, skip Joe or? Yeah, well, it's it's fine. Ian, once Joe again, is, is asserting Joe is his strong again. <laughs> Ian has lapped Joe and gone first. Forget my book. That sounds great. <laughs> uh, uh, well, my name is Joseph Harvey Holshue. And if you are looking for a book about your body, well, this one's not about your body. It's about Fitness, science fiction yeah. writer Haruki Murakami's body. And he wrote a memoir called What I Talk About When I Talk About Running. 2007. May your earlobes turn into assholes and shit on your shoulders. Hey, the plot doesn't fucking matter at all. This is what I think it's about. If you look closely <laughs> enough, every author was at some point a racist. Audiobooks don't count, right? All art is quite useless. <laughs> who, who told you that? Fun fact, that is how Joe laughs. I, I think, I mean, I would, right off the bat, I would give him negative marks because of redundancy. That title right. uses a couple of the same words twice. and you just G Give me the title again, Joe. He is not omitting needless words yes. when he writes his title, What I Talk About When I Talk About Running. I actually think mm. this is taken from a Raymond Chandler short story, What I Talk About When I Talk About Love. Does that sound right? What? So well, we, talk, right about, to me, we talk about love is Raymond Carver. Raymond He's not Carver. Raymond Chandler. Are they, those are both people, though. Like, those are definitely well, both yes, people. Well, yes, they are both people. Um, mm. Carver was a, a postmodernist post author who recently passed away, I think. <laughs> R.I.P. Raymond Carver. No, no, he died in 1988. <laughs> Never mind. Um, Long time fan of the, of the show. show. Yeah. <laughs> recently, <laughs> recently passed away. Well, so what are the takeaways here, gentlemen? Am I going to be able to uh, read these books and um, become just a, a more physically fit human being? I would say um, 
with my book, at least, I have constructed a case for you, which consists of a series of rhythmic vibrations, which will palpitate your ears to the extent that you will be fitter after you listen to this without doing any work. It will just, this will kind of, have you heard the term glow up? Maybe this is a, a time for Joe to do Joe's weirdly named segment. Joe, what is a glow up? Do you know what a glow up is? What are the kids saying about glowing up, Joe? I don't know. I don't know if a glow up counts as kids slang. I I, I only recently learned about this. Um, I I actually t- like tested the phrase with my wife. Like I tried to use it in casual conversation, just like drop glow up. Um, <laughs> she knew what it was. Apparently, there's like television shows where people glow up. I think it's just where. Is it a makeover or is it like, uh, I don't know. I don't know what it is. Guys, I, I don't know what it is. Joe's expertise has failed us. A glow up uh, is like where you used to be really kind of kludgy looking and then mm-hmm. maybe a year passed and you go back to school and this year you're all put together. You're very attractive. You're Oh, like you go to school shopping. You get some new clothes. You go to Abercrombie. Do you not know what a glow up is? I guess not. I don't think it's slang. There's a Netflix <laughs> Why would show you called use it Glow Up in a conversation like with your is, wife without knowing what it is. Well, I, that's like thirty percent of the words I use. <laughs> this is so problematic. I only say words to Elsa that I know what they mean. <laughs> not, not, not me. Um, okay, cool. Hey, great. Thank you, Ian. And what about you, Joe? <laughs> what what well, about me? Oh, well, we learned about will, physical do, fitness. Yeah. Any takeaways? Will I give you like ab toner, like levels of vibration with my book? No, my book, Um, in order to get fit, you are actually going to have to start running as a daily Ooh. regime, um, okay. which I mean, a daily guys, regime? It, it, I get it. It sucks. Running sucks. Mm. We all remember gym class, but it, it also helps you get really fit and mm. turns out helps you become like the greatest living science fiction novelist. So um, I'd like to I, I know, um, I'd like to bring a fitness fact to this episode. Ooh, oh, great. Fitness facts with Nick. Yeah. Fitness facts with Nick. That's a new segment. I feel like Nick got really prepared for the Herman Melville for the Moby Dick episode, and, and now he addicted. can't go back. He knows he what preparation stop can do preparing. for you. I think I forgot to bring up one more point for that episode, which is well, another I'm comparison. Sorry, Nick, we no longer talk about <laughs> Oh, wait. Oh, dang. It was the best thing, too. <laughs> we, I frequently think of things that I should have said <laughs> after the episode. That's a, our end of the year episode should be is just things we should have said. <laughs> Uh, fitness facts with Nick. Um, now, I just want to remind the litheads that even if they don't walk away with fitness facts or fitness tips from these two books, um, did you guys know you burn calories while you think? Yes, yes, yes. Um, okay. Your brain is a very hungry boy. Like, I think it eats lots of your calories. Like, something like 20% of your daily calories are just your brain doing its thing. I read a... Um I read an article and 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 I we we had this the, we had the speaker at school um, back when I was in the PhD um, mm-hmm. who was doing research on like the physical effects of cognition of thinking and not only does your brain burn calories but they have been able to track like when you are doing specific kinds of focused brain work you burn more calories when you're doing other kinds like when you're watching TV your brain is working less hard, for instance, and so it burns fewer calories. It's incredible. And as someone who spent like about five and a half years sitting on my keister, it was really reassuring that I'm actually burning calories. I feel like academic work like that exists solely for the purpose of making academics feel good. They're like, well, I'm not going to go for a walk today, but if I just think 
really hard about this problem. It's basically exercise. All right. And that, that wraps up um, Fitness Facts with Nick, where he just brings up something and Joni and talk for 20 minutes. <laughs> <laughs> that was not 20 minutes. That was like 18 minutes. Well, I, I want to just remind the lit heads that um, you burn about 320 calories a day just thinking on average. And um, okay. so that means during this episode, you will have burned about 13 calories. <laughs> so well, pick up that cheeseburger. You are welcome. We burn, you burn more calories if, you, um, if you're like thinking hard. So Ooh. this podcast. <laughs> so up to 13. This <laughs> podcast could help you if you think really hard about the dumb things that we're saying. Right. Mm-hmm. If we confuse the lit heads, they will have burned more calories. <laughs> There's probably also something where like if you're stressed and angry about what you're listening to, that burns calories. So, yeah. Well, welcome lit heads to uh, uh weekly what? or very uh uh perfectly uh appropriate uh strongly podcast as we call it here. Um stronger than ever. Yeah, stronger than ever. Thank you, Joe. Where every week we pick a theme of uh, high merit. Um, and, uh, Joe and Ian bring a book and we pick a winner. And of course, to pick a winner, we have some rules to keep us on track. Uh, rule number one, only unavoidable spoilers. <laughs> rule yes. number, shut up, Ian. Rule Take number two. Take off me, forget them. <laughs> <laughs> rule number two, remember the rules. Um, <laughs> Rule number two, omit needless words, Joe, please. And rule number three, winning isn't everything, it's the only thing. And it's just nice to return to our normal format where we will pick a winner this week, where we will make somebody feel bad, where we will hear the sound of notes being torn up. (laughs) (laughs) I feel like I'm the only one that tears up my notes. I feel like this is a premeditated uh, outcome. (laughs) I just sit in angry yeah. silence. I do want to remind our lit heads of the shadow rules. Um, you know mm-hmm. them. I know them. Everyone knows them. Uh, they guide what we do here and they help us stay, stay focused on victory. Uh, they are, as you know, go here, go there and go everywhere. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Thank you. Ian. Every week I forget that you're going to say shadow rules. Um, <laughs> regardless. I, of, I wait for them uh, in anticipation. With bated breath. Uh, great. Well, okay. Let's hear about these books. Ian or uh, Joseph, why don't you, uh, Joseph, why don't you uh, take 30 seconds? Tell me what your book is about. Give me the back Absolutely. cover. Absolutely. Nick, Nick, when I talk about, nope, let me start over. Okay, Nick, start what over. I talk about when I talk about running is Haruki Murakami's attempt to explain what he talks about when he talks about running. Murakami might be one of the best science fiction writers in the world. His books have been translated to 50 languages. He sold millions of copies, has won countless literary prizes. He's been a writing fellow at Princeton, Tufts, Harvard, and he's rumored to be on the shortlist for the Nobel Prize. Wow. He Mm. is also a mediocre recreational distance runner, and this book is about that last part. No, we're going to start following these rules here. Yeah, that's your time, Joe. Sometimes the 30 (sighs) seconds is tight, and sometimes it feels like it's never going to end. But, (laughs) you know, it's not in the rules, so... Those are my shadow And it never rules. will be because and of the arcane, the rules the arcane procedure for changing those rules. So right. Right. Like the stuff. rules are a perfect document. Uh, I think we want to maintain <laughs> what the founding fathers of this podcast intended. And, Joe is uh, the originalist. The rules. <laughs> <laughs> a rules originalist. Well, let me tell you about the intentions of the founding fathers. <laughs> hey. Listen, when they said 
firearms, they meant muskets. They meant muskets. And muskets don't exist. So therefore, we could do whatever we want. Wait, there was a musket in Moby Dick. <clears throat> There's a whole yeah. chapter where Starbuck is angry at Captain Ahab and he points a musket at Captain Ahab's face. Yeah. That's pretty good. Good and, times. And Ahab says, why don't you kill me? <laughs> You're not going to stop me. I don't care if you kill me. I'm not stopping <laughs> I'm exercising my rights. <laughs> it looks like there's a punk pointing a gun at me. <laughs> Shoot uh, it, you little <laughs> bitch. <laughs> that famous quote from Moby Dick. Shoot it, you little bitch. <laughs> I, really feel, I really feel like Captain Ahab clowns on Starbucks. That's their relationship. <laughs> Yeah. Uh, I was looking into the origin of the words of, of why Starbucks is called Starbucks after listening to our Moby Dick podcast. Yeah. And it is kind of it's, related. Yeah. When they founded Starbucks, um, they were looking for a word that started with ST because it sounded more like titillating, I guess. Oh Maybe gosh. titillating is not the right word. <laughs> it sounded more like thirst quenching. Um, and they stumbled across uh, Starbucks. So. And somebody huh. read Moby Dick. So I guess books Dick. are important. Books um, are important. Ian, why don't you take 30 seconds to tell me why your book's important? Okay. Uh, for decades, hikers of the Appalachian Trail have told and retold the legend of Grandma Gatewood, the first woman to through-hike the trail. Her experiences have grown in the telling to eventually mythic proportions. This book, the book I brought, gets the story right from her sleeping on picnic benches to repeated glasses-related mishaps. It also uncovers some of Gatewood's personal history and clarifies just why her 2,000-mile walk at 67 years old was so incredible. Written in 2014, 265 pages. Yep. Um, huh. This, okay, a grandma hiking versus um extremely accomplished writer um i don't know what your book is really about joe sounds like it's about what he talks about when he talks about running it's it's about what he talks about when he talks about i feel like ian's book is going to be like do you know how like when you watch looney tunes and you see how grandma at like of tweety and sylvester fame does like yeah like she does things that um like grandmas aren't supposed to do and there's like comedic value in that okay. i feel like, like that's what Ian's people? book is about yeah handing out butterscotch grandma, candies does grandma gatewood murder people is she the appalachian trail killer i'm sorry does the mm. grandma in the looney tunes murder people <laughs> no but i think she like raps in the in the new space jam movie ian and i were talking about space jam before he got on. oh oh my god okay well as punishment for bringing up the new space jam movie ian why don't you go first <laughs> Joe, you can go last. Okay. <laughs> LeBron James oh, will okay. not be happy. I want to start by asking you guys a question. No, this is not a game. This is a question. Ooh. Okay. So I'll put my buzzer down. Don't respond in like funny, jokey ways. Please be deadly serious. What is the what is the farthest you've walked? Mm. Like maybe in a day. We'll say that. What's the farthest you've walked in a day? Like physically or like philosophically? Um, I mean, I would answer both cause just because I'm interested in the, the second question. The second question philosophically, especially okay. coming from you, Nick. But That's I really do longer. mean physically, like with physically. your walking. Hmm. Mm, probably a couple miles, Joe. Or Ian, what, what about you, Joe? Um, well, one day... I was, okay. I, I went to Milwaukee. I think, I think my sister had recently started dating Nick and my wife and I went on a okay, walk with our dog go. 
It was about 95 degrees outside and we got really <laughs> the far. <bus> was <laughs> oozing. And I remember calling my sister and Nick and being like, hey, we're super far away from where we started. Can you come pick us up? And they were like, ah, nah. <laughs> How about you walk back? So I did. I probably walked 30 miles. No, realistically, it was probably like seven, like six or seven miles that day that Dang. we walked. Joe's been waiting but five was- years to bring this up. <laughs> That still pisses me off. <laughs> I honestly don't remember that. Do we need to pivot this podcast to be um, just you guys talking out your differences? Just hashing it out. Maybe. Hashing it out with Joe, Nick, and Ian. Mm. Good okay, spin-off. so I guess uh, the answer is several miles. Several miles. Okay. Yes. Now, does that imagine, help you? Yeah, it does. Okay. Imagine, imagine walking that every day. Oof. Mm-hmm. Several miles every day. And then imagine not going home to your nice soft bed and your nice warm meal, but sleeping, well, kind of wherever you could find it. Maybe you sleep on a, on a picnic table, mm-hmm. or maybe you sleep in a lean-to, or maybe right. you just gather some leaves and sleep on the leaves. Um, like, a, like a caveman, maybe up, up a tree, like a squirrel. What if you had a tent with you and you slept in the tent? Nope. No tents. No tents for this. Interesting. Okay. So, so picnic so, tables, yes. Tents, yeah. no. Yeah. So we're already, we're already walking several miles a day. And um, we're also sleeping outside, no tent. I'm also going to take one other thing away from you, and that is good food. So instead of mm. like regular good lunches and dinners and breakfasts, um, LaCroix to your heart's content. Ooh, um, yeah. Right. None of Sparkling that stuff. Water. None of that stuff. You get maybe some peanuts, uh, possibly if the general store that you stop at has um, uh, uh, a old bag of dried prunes, you might buy those and eat them as you walk. Hopefully somebody, you'll stop at a town and somebody will invite you in for dinner, but maybe they'll um, suspect you of being part of the government and drive you away from their front porch with a gun. Got okay. it. So um, no, like, Chef Boyardee. Yeah. No. Yeah. No. Yeah. Yeah, no okay. Chef Boyardee, Joe. <laughs> Sounds rough. No, no Chef Jaifieri no I... either. Um, um, okay. So, and, and then one other thing I'm going to take uh, away from you okay. is... Oh, God. Uh, water. So... <laughs> You don't, huh. you don't, uh-huh. you don't have a water purifier with you. You don't really have um, like gallons of water and canteens clinking around your back. Well, that uh, would be heavy. You have, a, so, I mean, it's would. probably fine. It would. It'd you be have so a water heavy. bottle, but mm-hmm. you don't know for sure. You 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 can't just go get a drink of water out of the tap, and you can't okay. just stop every mile or so and refill it. Where are we going on this death march here? Ian? Well, we're we're, we're going to walk about two thousand miles, and halfway through, Jesus. halfway through the worst, halfway through the walk, the worst uh, hurricane of the twentieth century is going to come through and flood basically everything. So, can you imagine what terrible timing? Unreal. Yeah, so she, um, the story of this book is she does this. All the stuff that I've described and more, she kind of goes through. The story is pretty simple. Um, she left home um, when she was 67, and she did not tell her kids where she was going. And she went to the southern terminus of the Appalachian Trail in Georgia, and she didn't have a tent, didn't have hiking boots, didn't have much gear. Uh, she she made a, a bag out of denim cloth, 
and slung it over her shoulder and carried everything for her hike in that bag. It weighed less than 20 pounds. Um, she doesn't eat much. She sleeps, as I say, wherever she can find shelter. She does rely on the kindness of strangers a lot. Um, That's nice. She that jumps nice. across narrow chasms and shimmies along ice-covered rocks and persists and like sprains her knee a couple of times and walks 100 miles on a badly sprained knee. The list goes on, I'm sure. She's successful. I, yeah. I like this lack of preparation. I feel like most of the time when people are gearing up for a, for a big adventure, they yeah. just talk about it and shop oh for my it God. and research. Yeah. It's and it's just obnoxious. It's like, "Hey, you want to go for, you want to go for a walk? Just go for a walk, man. If it's the Appalachian Trail, just start. Just, just start, see how it goes." Uh yeah, it's not like these um these Everest people that planned for like two or three years. And, oh you know, my God. I have to go to base camp years. this yeah. year and just right. acclimate myself. It's like, oh, you're just going to die up there anyway. Yeah. Just in, go. In fact, just go. in fact, why don't you? And why so don't Jer- you just die, crack <laughs> Ian, uh, My question yes. is this. How, tell us about the warning label on this book because I imagine it's pretty extensive. Is that page one? Please do not try this uh, at home. Is there a parental advisory mm, on yeah. this book? Must no, be 67 years or older to... <laughs> To, to read, read and follow the instructions. <laughs> no, there, there, there really isn't. In fact, there's what she does um, has kind of has kind of turned into a style of walking the Appalachian Trail. Oh God! Um, <laughs> called going ultralight, and it's you trending. you you try. You don't have the massive like sixty pound pack on your back. You try and go right. as light as you can. You have a hand-stitched denim bag. Well, but this is the crazy thing. When you do that, you will be spending probably hundreds, if not thousands of dollars on like the perfect pair of shoes. Like, right, you will like have... we start talking about ounces, right? Like, yeah, we're not, exactly, we're, yeah. exactly. But she mm-hmm. didn't. She was just like, her preparation for this this hike or this walk, she called <laughs> was it a non-existent. walk. was non-existent, yeah. <laughs> no, no, she did prepare she went out into the woods near where she lived and she would stay out in the woods overnight to see like, okay, what do I need to do to figure out what I need? Like, what do I need to have? What can I get away with leaving behind? Um, she, she did do a lot of walking. She walked all her life. She never learned how to drive. So she, she, one of the ways she got around, this is the 1950s that she did this walk and she was 67. So yeah, she, she walked a lot, but she wasn't training hardcore. She wasn't mm-hmm. like really, really, you know, running up and down the nearby mountain and punching slabs of meat in the freezer and stuff. It was just like, no, I just she got on the plane, went down to went down to Georgia, and then Be, I guess before walked. I ask you, I'm going to ask you why, Ian, real quick here. Yeah. But I also want you to start thinking about uh, this not being the first book we've brought to the show regarding hiking the Appalachian Trail. Oh, I'm yeah. just wondering what the comparisons there are. Yes. But anyway, why is this grandma doing this? Yeah, we'll get to we'll get to Bill Bryson in a second. The question of why oh, no. is, I are think, you going to be mean to Bill Bryson? I will stand up for Bill Bryson. <laughs> I'm going to start researching. Um the question of why is one that that the author um whose name I've momentarily forgot Yes, Ben Montgomery. The author Ben Montgomery, um, he he's really, really interested in this. And this is the question that so she became kind of this celebrity as she went because people began like 
This is 1955. When she hiked it, there had been, I think, seven people before her <laughs> to through hike. She was the first woman. All the rest were men. Um, wow, and so yeah. she, so she's kind of a big deal on top of the fact that she's a, a granny who's doing this. So people were asking her why. People asked her why. Why are you doing this? And this is a question that, that Montgomery comes back to. And her in her in her interviews, in her in her newspaper interviews and, and TV and, and radio and so forth, she gave a lot of different answers. She was like, oh, I wanted to get out of the house. Or um, <laughs> I, yes. I, read this, I read this national... There. I read this National Geographic article in 1949 and um, the National Geographic made it sound like a really easy trail. And so I thought I could do that. Um, but the the one he settles on, um, some of her her kids have suggested like she there was kind of a feminist thing. She was like, I want to be the first woman. And then he says that could be it. But really, um, she, he says like her goal was to do it because she wanted to. That was the answer she gave to a lot of people. Why are you doing this? Because I want to. And he says, that's totally valid and cool. Did she just feel like running? Yeah, see, that's exactly what I was thinking of, well, right? It's, yeah. it's not from, okay, yes and no. It's not from the love uh, necessarily of Did she grow you know, her being beard rained on and, mm-hmm. and wrenching your knee and... Um, hoping that people don't drive you away from their front porch with a gun and fighting off wild dogs and porcupines. It's not because she loves that necessarily. It's because she wants to have done it. She mm-hmm. wants she wants to accomplish this. She wants to conquer this. And when she gets to the end, um, stands on top of the mount uh, on top of Mount Katahdin um, at the end of of the Appalachian Trail, um, she has this kind of special personal moment um, where she sings America the beautiful and she kind of revels in it. And she's like, I did this. It's not about, I love walking. It's more about, I love having walked. Yeah. I love having conquered it. It's nice that the end of the trail was at this beautiful point and not like a Denny's or something. It's almost like like they designed the trail to end that way. Yeah, if you were like in the Denny's singing America the Beautiful, I think they'd ask you to leave pretty quickly. (laughs) Or they might sing along. Miss Gatewood, Miss Gatewood, we need you to get off the table. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I'd like to hear more about these terrible, terrible Appalachian people pulling guns on a grandma. (laughs) Yeah, what is the matter with these people? She's just a sweet old lady. There are not very many of them. Um, okay. So a lot of a lot of his narration of her experiences is based on her diary, which she kept along the trail. And she doesn't seem she is she is going to be honest about people, but she doesn't seem mean spirited. So you know sometimes she records like um, you know they they weren't they weren't too happy to have me here, but they warmed up to me. Um, but she she's very outgoing. She's very friendly. She just like. Uh, the the uh, Appalachian Trail, especially kind of farther in the south, passes through these little towns in Appalachia, and mm-hmm. um, so she would just like go off the trail, go to somebody's house, and say, "Hey, can I uh, rest here on your front porch?" And they're like, "Yeah, totally." Or sometimes I might think she was again an agent of the government and say, "You need to move along." Um, mm-hmm. Sometimes she would go to a hotel and they would say, "You're too dirty looking to stay here." Oh God. Um, <laughs> This was the 1950s, so you know they would do things like that. But um, right, we're running a nice place here. We don't need any dirty grandmas hanging around. <laughs> wow. So she, 
she would just kind of, she just kind of like meet people. And a lot of times she, she formed really close friendships with them such that when she decided uh, a year and a half after she finished, when she decided to hike the Appalachian Trail again, she ended up going to see some of the same people she had met on her previous hike. How much later did she do it again? Uh, about a year and a half, 19 months. Okay, so, so like right after. It wasn't like when she turned 86 years old, she was like, you know, that was a nice walk. I should do that no. again. No, but then after she did it the second time, she she did do it a third time. And um, I think was the she's first addicted. person the first person to do it to do it three time and then she decided and by this time she's into her 80s then she decided to no 70s then she decided to walk the route of the Oregon Trail she just loves walking from Independence Missouri to Portland i think she likes the freedom uh the freedom the freedom of the open road the freedom of the trail she like she is yeah. completely in control yeah hey ian i have a question for you yeah. Um, when I sit back and look at all the books that have ever been written, mm-hmm. and you have them all I, in front of you, each one as you I have yep, them with you. as I have them in front of me on my Audible app, uh, which I love. <laughs> oh man, do I love Audible! Mm-hmm. I don't know. I don't think Audible. I would. Yeah, hit us up, Let's please. Talk to Audible. Audible. I think there's some serious pros and cons to what you're doing, but hey, you're making books more accessible, and I think that's great. Um, anyway. Um, you know, as I look at the different options to read my next book, um, you know, a walking grandma as a subject matter is mm-hmm. probably not necessarily at the top, but I look at maybe some of the other options. You know what I mean? Like, mm-hmm. um, you know, fun, uh, anything else that it could be more fun or teach me something. Why? What are you getting? Oh, sure. So you're not looking necessarily for like another book about a walking grandma. Like you just want to know why choose this book about a walking grandma versus like the guy who runs the Appalachian Trail in six days. That's probably not possible. My point, Joe, (laughs) is why would I want to read a book about a walking grandma? What are we getting out of this book? (laughs) That's That's a good question. I think, so I think this book, and I suspect... Both of these books, mine and Joe's, are going to hinge on their central character. So she's not just any grandma. She is a really inspiring story herself. She uh, left school after eighth grade, um, and she left school in order to to get married. Um, She had 11 kids survive to adulthood. And her, oh, wait for it. Her husband beat her to the point of injury on a regular basis. Oh, wow. She Grandma Gatewood. She had to like escape him, like run, go on the run multiple times. One time she was defending herself against him and he put her, uh, she got put in prison. Um, after, even after they got divorced because he was, as, as I mentioned, um, breaking her ribs and bloodying her face. Uh, she says one time, one time he did that. He beat her beyond recognition 10 times in a year. So, uh, even after they got divorced, she didn't have like a particularly fulfilling or exciting life. And so this, this thing that she does walking the Appalachian trail by herself, kind of taking control of her body, of going out into nature, of experiencing things, of kind of being in charge of herself, completely unencumbered by other people, by expectations. She's just going and doing this for herself. It's really inspiring yeah. and empowering and uplifting. And it's like a high point. It's like 
she doesn't peak in high school. She doesn't peak in college. She peaks yeah. after a, a, a lifetime a of abuse. She mm-hmm. kind of has this redemption story where she climbs mountains and watches the sunrise and falls asleep under the stars uh, on the tops of the Appalachian Mountains. So I think it's it has to do with her. If this was just a random grandma who is, you know, kind of nice and sweet and had lived a normal life, that would be fine. But she, like this, and 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 the story does a really good job. It doesn't just like up front, like she was abused, here's all this stuff. It kind of throws it in there, little pieces here and there. So we get to yeah. know more about her as she goes farther along the trail. And by the end, you're like, holy cow, she had to endure so much. And she, her life was in danger. And so- I think the Appalachian Trail, conquering the Appalachian Trail is kind of like um, a parallel to her life. Um, And it's really, it's just really inspiring when people have hard lives and then, (laughs) this this is the genre, Nick. People have hard lives and then do transcendent things. That's the cool genre. That's the thing that that's like, you love to... to That's almost as good as my new favorite genre, genre, which is random grandmas. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> there should be more random grandma books. Um, I want to say a couple of things about fitness um, because that is, after all, our 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 theme, focus which we today. adhere to um, uh, yeah. militarily. Ah, uh, yeah. Oh, that's right. That's right. <laughs> two things. I would say two things about fitness books. Um, fitness books should inspire you to some extent. Mm-hmm. And Mind over should, body, right? Good. Right good fitness books should not make you feel inferior. So. The best fitness books legitimately are able to inspire you. She didn't have, like I said, she didn't have thousands of dollars for gear. She didn't train for years. She just walked in the woods by her house and practiced sleeping outdoors and then went to walk on the trail. And this made me think, hey, I'm not a grandma. I'm actually younger than a grandma. I could probably Mm -hmm. do this. I mean, I'm not going to, but I could, you know? (laughs) Like, I could. This right. is this is attainable. And people like hold up these massive like America's massive trails like the Pacific Coast High uh, the, the the Pacific Crest Trail of PCT and um the Appalachian Trail and others. They hold up these trails like, oh, this is massive achievement in hiking. And some people like Bill Bryson are like, This is so hard. Oh my goodness. Right. Nobody can do Nobody it. Nobody can do this. Here's this here's this fat guy who walked on the trail and he was turned around in like two days. Like <laughs> well, I'm, I'm two um, months, but yeah. Yep. <laughs> Like she's just like no, I'm 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 gonna go for a walk, and she does, and it's amazing. So that's inspiring. That's that's a cool thing about this as a fitness book. And the other thing related to this is it doesn't make me feel inferior. So, mm-hmm. um, the Olympics just finished up, and for me, <laughs> watching nice. the Olympics is kind of a huge downer fitness wise because like those people who are setting world records, they are triumphing because of dedicated training, because they've. They, that's they've spent their lives on that. That's what they've expended their lives on, training, fitness, getting themselves to that point where they can win that gold medal. This book is kind of like the anti Olympics because she doesn't put in ten thousand hours of training. She just lived a hard life and wanted to get out into nature, and well, until they enter random grandma walking into the Olympics, you're saying it should happen. Paris twenty twenty four. Make it happen. Wait, wait, see. They're doing breakdancing in Paris. So, grandma, grandma, random grandma walks are. Um, they'll, just, they'll make anything an Olympic sport. They will. If the, there's the enough thing audience, about this, they're absolutely The thing about job. this book is that 
it just exemplifies somebody who just she was she she worked hard she walked hard uh she was inventive uh she didn't have bug spray but she knew which plants in the nature were natural bug repellents so she plucked the leaves crushed them and hung them on her hat and wow. they repelled but, the mosquitoes. But bug spray would have been better. Like every time you see a natural yeah, bug spray sure, and you yeah, try some and you're deet. like, boy, I would really prefer some DEET. But she also didn't have bug spray, so she did what she, yeah. she had to. And she's right. dedicated so and she finishes. Um, these are things that normies like us can accomplish. Like yeah. none of us yeah. are going to win a gold medal, but after reading this book, I feel like any one of us three could hike the Appalachian Trail. I disagree with you. Um, <laughs> well, but you haven't read the book. That's respectfully, the thing. I respectfully decline your offer to hike the Appalachian Trail. Thank you, Ian. Well, but I, I do think it's like this idea of like, well, I mean, is it super daunting? Yeah. Is it 2,000 miles through like the semi-wilderness? Yeah. But like at the end of the day, it's it's just walking. Like you, you just go for a walk. Time. And then I, tomorrow you walk again. And then the next day you walk again. It's all about what you can put up with, what you what you will put up with. This book is really about how um, <laughs> capitalist America uh, makes us work our entire lives. So this wouldn't even be an option for most people until after the ripe age of 65 in retirement, <laughs> right? Well, that's yeah. true. Like, I mean, I have I have summers off, but even with a summer off, I couldn't do this because you to hike the Appalachian Trail. thousand miles, yeah. She kept a, she kept a really, like she was hiking on average of 15 miles a day and she still started in early May and finished, I think in like, September or October. So like you, you can't do, you can't do this unless you are a grandma or independently Mm -hmm. wealthy enough to take five months of work off. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Mm, Do you have any um, tips for hiking the Appalachian trail written down anywhere? Is that something Um, you have like on standby? I could, I could give you some, I could give you some tips based on, based on this book. Why don't you Um, wrap it up with some tips? Well, I want to wrap it up by talking about Bill Bryson, but I'll give you some tips. Oh, God. <laughs> Why must we always throw Bill Bryson under the bus? He's a perfectly charming man with, that forget. has a wonderful knack for language. Is Bill Bryson, do we like him? Is he? He's the one with the, the bear on the cover. Yeah, I the book like with the bear him. on the cover. Did we like this author? He looks like a nice guy. I just don't remember, he, Doesn't guys. he look nice? Uh, Bill Bryson, I will refresh your memory, uh, wrote a book called A Walk in the Woods, a very famous book called A Walk in the Woods, about his attempt at hiking the Appalachian Trail. Um, I say attempt because when you read the book and you actually put it all together, he hikes a very, very, very small amount of the trail. Um, I think he says there is a map of the trail that is something like six feet tall. And when he quits or kind of turns it into little day hikes, he's done the first six inches of that map. Bill Bryson quitter. Gotcha. Thank you, Joe, for that recap. Yep, Bill Bryson. (laughs) That that point factors into what I was going to say about Bill Bryson. So, um, part of why I like this book is it's just really simple. This is not a Moby Dick. It's not trying to make things more complicated or super fancy and literary. It's just like, hey, she went on a walk, and here's what happened. There were some wild dogs. She scared them away. She was cold. She slept. She heated rocks in the fire and slept on them to keep herself warm. Um, he does a really good job drawing these characters. So um, I'll, I'll give you an example, which helps us get to know one of one of Grandma's daughters, one of Grandma Gatewood's daughters, Lucy. He says, Lucy protects her mother's legacy. When Lucy learned that the author Bill Bryson had mentioned her mother in his best-selling <laughs> book about the Appalachian Trail, she found the passage, 
then found it unflattering. Mm. Probably the most famous, certainly the most written about of all through hikers was Emma Grandma Gatewood, Bryson wrote, who successfully hiked the trail twice in her late 60s, despite being eccentric, poorly equipped, and a danger to herself. She was forever getting lost. Lucy fired off a letter to a the witty rude. writer who yeah. hiked who hiked only 39.5% of the AT himself. And here's what she said. Eccentric, oh, perhaps, but kindly, please. Lost? Never. Just misdirected, she wrote. I hope you have the satisfaction of completing the trail someday. <laughs> <Ooh>. <laughs> <laughs> I I applauded because what a what a what a one uh, murdered by words indeed. Less is oh, more. Omit needless words. Just omit needless words. It's great. Oh, yeah. it's so good. Uh, I'll, I'll give you some quick fire some quick fire fitness tips and then I'll stop. Fitness uh, tips. Um, fitness tips with Ian. Fitness tips with Ian for hiking the Appalachian Trail. Uh, one, keep going. Uh, she keeps mm. going even though she sprains herself multiple times. It's a strong two, start. Two. Get the supplies you need. She goes through five, six pairs of shoes. She doesn't get hiking mm-hmm. boots. She wears like Keds. She wears canvas <laughs> shoes for much uh-huh. of this. But she, that's what she uses and it works for her. And she just keeps buying cheap shoes and wearing them out. Um, Ian, three. Can I share with you that the old grandmas that I met in Peru who helped me climb a mountain um, <laughs> wear, wore flip flops? Yeah. Yeah, that's right. Maybe, maybe like grandmas in footwear are just like. You know, you, you get old enough, you earn the right to wear whatever Show you want. Show some respect, yeah. Here's another one. Sure. Keep an eye on the rain. One of, like, one of the things she always does is like when it starts to rain, she goes for shelter. So if you're going to do this hike, find a place to stay out of the rain. Four, don't sweat it. She runs into all kinds of stuff and she doesn't like turn it into a big thing. Oh, this is the worst. I'm so put upon. Oh. She just keeps well, going. One foot life. in front of the other. And eventually she finishes it and then she does it again and again. Great. Four tips. Four tips. I don't know. Is that a giant opera? This is. Joe's Mouth Noises starring Joe. I see where Joe was going, but I, it was confusing at first. Is he whistling, or is that you, Ian? No, that's him. This is all him. I'm not going to I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna blow up his spot by doing What is that noise? Is that a space opera I hear? <laughs> this is good. I thought we were going to go for more of like a Bohemian Rhapsody. Do you guys know what an actual opera is? It's a story told through song. So maybe if we do space operas in a future episode, like for instance next week. Our musical episode. Yeah. Like like everybody has a live show. Everybody has a musical episode. It could be our musical. At the very least, maybe not a musical episode because musicals and operas are hugely different. But... (laughs) Well, I mean, it's it's a story told through song. But maybe... Like we could just sing all of the things we have to say. Yeah. Yeah. No, you'll definitely sing the entire episode for sure, Ian. Um, this is great. I love space operas. I've uh, heard of them. 
Um, I <laughs> know that feel? they do exist, How do and I'm excited to hear singing? books about them. How do you it's feel Star Wars. Singing? It's just Star Wars. It, it, it like it's Star Wars, right? Yeah, like, that's Star what we're Wars. talking about. It's, it's Star basically Wars. like okay. Star Wars. Uh, do you guys want to bring some books that are like Star Wars next week? Yeah, I'll bring a book that's um, I don't know. It's it's. I suppose it's like Star Wars in the in the fact that there are stars in this book and there are also wars in this book. But awesome. in a, a lot of other respects, it's not very much like Star Wars. Uh, this is uh, this theme is a listener recommendation, and the book is also a listener recommendation. I'm going to be re- bringing Leviathan Wakes by James S. A. Corey, which is the first book that the television show The Expanse is based on. Fantastic. And I'm going to be bringing a book that has the star right in the author's name. Nice. Alistair, Alistair oh, Reynolds? God. Probably Alistair Reynolds. Just say it like um, star. Al- Alistair Spaceman. <laughs> this book is written by, uh, and it is called Revelation Space. It is his first novel, but the dude has a PhD in astronomy and Ooh. a song in his heart, it says right here on his Wikipedia page. No, PhD in astronomy and an opera in his heart. So, Revelation Space, I'm pumped. Hey, Joseph, what book do you yes. have? Because I forgot what you were going to, I forgot what you brought. I was just right. thinking about random grandmas. He well, brought- now you can be thinking of random grandpas because, <laughs> like, Ooh, do Ian, I sense a love connection? Ooh, a geriatric Ooh, I, connection. I think they're a couple generations apart. But yes, I, I brought a book about a, a ambulating geriatric. Um, my guy doesn't walk, though. He runs. Um, he's also done some other things in his life, which is kind of, I, I'm sure, why this book got published, let's be real. Uh, because when your name is Haruki Murakami, they let you <laughs> publish anything that you That you want. want. Okay. Yeah. Well, tell us uh, about this a, chap. I actually, I kind of want to start by touching on something that, something that I'm curious about. Is this going to be one of those um, leading questions like Ian asked, which um, really added nothing to the dialogue? That's exactly what I'm going for (laughs) here. Um, Early, early in this book, Haruki Murakami says that a gentleman never talks about what he does to stay in shape. Oh my goodness. And then he proceeds to write... Uh-oh. And then he proceeds to write a book about what he does to stay in shape. <sighs> okay. Um, certainly some holes in that logic. So uh, <laughs> continue, Joe. Well, he does have a transition between that says, as all of my friends will tell you, I am no gentleman. So <laughs> here's my book. But when somebody says that, that, that sentence, they're like, they're like setting the, oh, I, oh. <laughs> Then when he somebody says that, they're like judgment. setting themselves off for you to be like, oh, no, Haruki, you're totally a gentleman. Nah, yeah. Oh, oh, he's like fishing for oh, he's, yep. he's He's baiting. Yeah. Um, so I guess I'm curious, like you, you guys are all over 30 years old. Your bodies have started to slowly betray you in the long march toward death. Um, I'm curious, what do you do to stave off the inevitable? Like what, what do you do to stay in shape? Is it anything? Um, last night, I raged threw away all of the junk food in our house. <laughs> <laughs> um, and, and as cognitive scientists will tell you, being angry burns calories. So Yeah, it does. It, it, more calories than thinking, I'll tell you. Um, and today's garbage day, so I just I threw away so much, so many bags of things that I don't need in my body. That's one, that's one thing I do, Joe. 
That's pretty good. And I've been to your house, Nick. You have like kind of famously yeah. a lot of junk food. Yeah. In your house. Like you have a you have a candy drawer in your what? house. What? Yeah. Well, we moved in, so we moved from the very small house. Oh, it's, to it's a, the older. It's the old, former yeah, owner's candy to, drawer to a slightly uh, <laughs> uh, to a, a house with a slightly larger um, storage area, and we have just probably a pretty famous snack cabinet at this point. Um, the nephews know about it. The cousins know about it. The whole family knows about it. Now the world knows about it. <laughs> Ladies and gentlemen, a Did great snack cabinet over at the Argyris home. <laughs> so Ian, Nick throws away all of his junk food uh, yep. once every six months in a fit of rage. Rage, uh, Ian, yeah. Um, to, to stay fit, I was running or walking every morning, but since wildfires have made the outside... Air in Reno, hazardous to breathe. Um, I have been obviously staying inside and not yeah. breathing the poisonous air. Um, and I also I also try to eat healthy whole foods and not whole foods the store, but like whole foods. Right. We recently like cut broccoli. Well, we can't eat broccoli because Elsa's aller- allergic to it. But like broccoli, uh, cake. brown rice, that kind of thing. We recently cut most of the meat out of our diet, which is. Still something I'm coming to terms with psychologically, emotionally. Sure. But um, yeah. yeah, eating right is probably since I can't since it would it would literally take years off my life to breathe the air outside right now. Mm-hmm. Eating right is kind of all I can do. Eat right and stay indoors. I feel yep. like that should be a bumper sticker. <laughs> and you know, eat right and stay inside. Yeah. Okay. So like. If you're anything like me, like fitness isn't something that you thought about until your body started to turn on you, right? Oh, like, yeah. It wasn't same, until I was same. like 30 years old that I ever considered exercise as a like a part of my day, right? I made so many bad choices in my 20s. And then like around the time I turned 30, I was like, oh, no. Yeah. It. What, were all, uh, what were all of those bad choices? <laughs> eating eating badly, not exercising, um, really eating really badly. Just destroying my digestive system with with garbage. I drank so much coffee and I ate so little healthy food. <sighs> right. Um, what, uh, what does this have to do with your book? Okay. Uh, Haruki Murakami had the same journey that we have had, right? Like he graduated college and he had kind of an interesting origin story. Um, after getting his degree, the first thing he did was borrow a bunch of money from anybody that would give it to him, and he started a bar. Like, he started, like, a jazz club in oh, Japan. God, this can't be... That's not good financial advice. <laughs> oh, it's terrible, right? Like, it's well, like, what, hey, if you what year was lose this? all your money... What year yeah, was this? This would be, like, in the early 80s. The oh, early, early okay. 80s. Okay, maybe not this. such a bad idea. Anything goes yeah. in the 80s. It So, actually... It was relatively successful. Like he ran it for 10 years. He got to the point where he was able to pay back all of the loans that he took about it, like took for to start it. And just when he was like approaching, you know, zero on the balance sheet, like approaching the black on the balance sheet, he went to a baseball game and he remembers the exact moment. A guy hit a double and he was sitting there watching the next guy bat and that guy hit a home run. And the moment that that new guy hit a home run, uh, Murakami thought to himself, you know, I should write a novel. <laughs> it, he, he says it is the first time in his life it ever dawned on him. And it came just like a bolt of lightning. 
like, oh, I should probably write a novel. So he did. He wrote a book. He won a contest with that book. And he closed the bar and became a professional novelist (laughs) in just like a bizarre career trajectory. Okay, so here's the thing. When he was running the club, you guys have worked in like bars and clubs and restaurants. It is physical work. Like it's like you're on your feet all day. It's demanding. Like it's a unhealthy lifestyle. Like you're smoking and drinking and, and all those things. Uh, but like it is physical work. So when he became a novelist, he got fat <laughs> and he thought, boy, this isn't great. I should probably start running. So at 33 years old, for the first time in his life, he laced up a pair of running shoes and went for a jog around the block and he became absolutely addicted. Um, in like the f- 40 years since then, I guess probably not 40 years, like 30 years since then. Um, he has run many, many marathons. He has run ultra marathons in his old age. He is getting into triathlons for the first time um, and teaching, like hiring things like swimming coaches and biking coaches. And like he talks about running as as like, well, I guess as the physical part of his life. And he also talks about it as just as important, like just as important part of his life as his career as one of the most famous and successful living novelists. Hmm. So, Joe, you've managed to waste more than half of your time discussing Ian and I's <laughs> dietary um, <laughs> habits. But hey, um, just, I'm, here, I'm that, here to get the lit heads what they want. <laughs> yeah, we've covered now that we've covered our fitness routines. Um, Joseph, so this man had a non-traditional um, uh, path to success. Rise, rise to what, power. Yeah, rise to power. Thank you. Um what I'm sorry, I we didn't really establish where who what this man's credentials are that got him. I don't. I just you you said earlier that he can do whatever he wants because he's so accomplished. Why is he accomplished? How yeah, let's, so, let's take it even farther back. How did he get into that baseball game? Like, <laughs> oh, good, why, good question. Why did they he's let like, him in? Who is playing? What was the score? Yes, right? all these things. Home team ah. advantage. Haruki Murakami has written a bunch of books. Um, Some of the ones that you might have heard of are ones like Norwegian Wood, um, not just a Beatles song, also a book. Um, He wrote a book called IQ84, which is frequently talked about as like one of the best science fiction novels of, of, um, it actually won the prize in Japan for the best science fiction novel of this generation. Um, So he is, he's kind of a modern day literary heavyweight okay um all right i by the way i i I have not read any other murakami book ian have you ever read this guy or no i'm trying to remember i i may have read one murakami one time let me let me do some research and and i'll get back to you in a minute so what's this book about it's about what's it about he runs and now he likes running Yep, this book is about his running practice, right? Like he, like some of it is really granular. He talks about how many miles he does in a day. Um, he talks about like, he he talks about like how he prepares to train for a specific type of race. He talks about why he prefers the Boston Marathon over the New York City Marathon, right? Like some of it is really just down and dirty detail about daily running. Um, and but then other parts of it, right? Like I think the better parts of it, the more engaging parts of it are when he talks about running as a philosophical endeavor, right? Like he talks about like the, the, the mental piece that he gets from running the piece in his soul that he gets from running. 
Ian brought up a great point when he was talking about his book where he said a fitness book to be successful should be inspirational, right? Like it, it, it shouldn't make you feel bad. It get me off the couch. You. Get me off the couch. The book I was initially planning on bringing this week was a book written by Tim Ferriss called The 4-Hour Body. Um, and Tim Ferriss, if you don't know, is like... I don't, I don't know how to explain him. He's kind of like an internet douchebag. He's written books like The 4-Hour Workweek, um, which like launched him into success. He's written, he then went on to like kind of harp on the 4-Hour thing. He did The 4-Hour Body. He did The 4-Hour Chef. Um, he has a podcast with like a trillion listeners. He's like well ingrained into Silicon Valley. He was an early investor in like Twitter and Facebook. Sounds like, like, like a an great early guy. Investor. Yeah, he's... He's really a tool. And when I reread that book or when I started rereading that book this week, it was the opposite of what Ian is talking about. Like it was down to just like dirty detail of this is how you should be doing your macros. And this is, um, you know, if you want to eat a bunch of carbs, you should try eating some cinnamon that morning because your body will process them differently. Right. Well, it's a different book, right? Yeah. Yeah. This book, um, what I talk about when I talk about running is like the opposite of that book, right? Like instead of talking about like the nitty gritty, like these are your numbers and these are your levels. This is like, Hey, let me talk. Let me tell you about why I run. Like, let me tell you about what I get out of it. It's, it's running theory. Yeah, or like running philosophy this almost is, more. This right? is really interesting because you're talking about why. And this is the question that, that motivates the Grandma Gatewood book, the why. And the idea of like desire or drive is really important in Gatewood. And I think probably to some extent in this book too. Is, is that fair? Like the, the, the running not just as like I'm doing this to as a mechanical thing to be healthy, but running as a state of mind running as a meditative, meditative thing. Yeah. Well, and, and it's funny cause he doesn't talk about it like in like a grand sweeping way. Like it's so easy to turn this into a metaphor. And there are like moments where he definitely touches on that, right. Where he talks about how running these races gives him these milestones in his life. Right. And like a race doesn't have any meaning. It's just like life. We ascribe it meaning because it has this arbitrary ending point. <laughs> so we assume it must be meaningful. Right. He just talks about running because it like, helps him he's like hey do you know want to know why i run because when i run i'm a better writer and when i run i'm a better person and do i think that you should run probably not unless you already do <laughs> like like i think i'm just like kind of suited for it it's Wait. solitary and it keeps me healthy go ahead he's not saying he, he he's not saying that this is a thing that everybody should do He's not like no. telling you to run. How is this a fitness book? Is this how is yeah. this not just like, hello, it's me, Hiroki Murakami. I'm very successful. You may know me from IQ84. Also, I run. Okay. So th that's a great point. When I think about running, right? What I think about when I think about running is it looks terrible. Like I have yes. no interest yes. in running at all. However, um, I I like to row. And like, like get on a rowing machine and like set the timer and like, look at my like average watts that I output and my split times and like meticulously track that. So when I read this book, I don't think about running, but like, I see all sorts of parallels to the work that I do right to the, to sure. the fitness to work that I do. So yeah, Murakami says like, well, look, should you run? I don't know. Like, 
Does it appeal to you? If it doesn't appeal to you, you probably shouldn't. But this is what I get out of it. And maybe you should find something like that is is the argument that he's making here. So you can extrapolate what he's saying about running to walking or rowing or hiking or maybe lifting right, or weights. Play, playing tennis, yes. whatever the case is. Yes, of course. Okay, so there's a popular perception in Japan that if you are writing a novel, right, if you are a novelist, you have to be in touch with like this dark part of yourself. And that being a novelist and hanging out in that dark part of yourself is just an intrinsically unhealthy thing. Huh. So he says, well, this gives me a healthy body. So my soul is allowed to be a little bit unhealthy. Huh. So he gets a clear mind. He gets a healthy body, which allows his soul to be like, you know, the yin to his yang. Um, Joe, does it get into, yeah, I mean, the, the, like the, is it, does your book focus more on like the mental aspects of working out? Like the, the, the mental uh, benefits from daily routine? Is that, is that the kind of main takeaway here? Yeah. I mean, it's, it's the mental aspects of, uh, it's the mental benefits of daily routine. Yes. It's also specifically how running is a metaphor for writing, like how his distance running is a perfect analogy for writing novels. Um, and he says, look, if you want to be a writer, the most important thing that you can have, I, I like the no nonsenseness that he has. He's like, if you want to be a writer, the most important thing you can have is talent. <laughs> good. Very true. Good. Right. Hard to okay. argue. Right. Yep. You got to be good at if it. If you want to be number a podcaster, two, you have to have words. Mm -hmm. <laughs> a microphone. Number, number two, you have to have focus. And then number three, you have to have endurance. And he talks about running as a way to train your focus and train your endurance endurance, right? Sure. Um, he talks about Raymond Chandler coming up again, once confessed in his private letters that even if he didn't write anything in a day, he made himself sit down at his desk for four hours, right? Like he says, I'm going to sit <laughs> here. I'm going to sit here for four that. hours. It's amazing, right? Yeah. I'm going to sit here for four hours and either I'm going to write for four hours or I'm going to torture myself for four hours. But either way, I'm sitting here because writing is an act of endurance. I really like that. So this, uh, so he talks about fitness as a, like a kind of a um, uh, enabler to to do the thing he really wants in life, which is writing, huh? Right. Like, like this enables know, him to be the person he wants to be. Exactly. Right. Like, like how much is appropriate? How much is too much? How far can I push myself? How far can I like take it and keep it consistent? When does it become narrow-minded? Like all these yeah. things are questions that he asks himself both about writing and about running. At what point do people look at me as a crazy runner? Right. right. Like at what point do I get a reputation for being town? a runner guy? Well, I guess when you write a book about running, that's probably when people look at you as a crazy runner. Or yeah, maybe when you're you like, in the middle that's of the, the road and people are like, that crazy guy's running in the middle yeah. of the road. He's a crazy runner. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. And I, what's the deal with bikers being on sidewalks? Am I right? Ugh. Um, <laughs> that's all I have to say about that. I think it's really strange, Joe. Um, I've, I've, run into a lot of a lot of Englishy types, a lot of literary types who are also runners. And I really wonder Big why there's this culture of connecting running to writing. Like people don't say, oh, weightlifting is just like writing or 
cooking is just like writing or designing a video game is just like writing. No, it, it's running is, is the one. Well, and like, I think he talks about like some of the parallels are that he talks about are, Hey, when I do this, it's something that I do totally on my own, right? Like I'm oh, totally sure. isolated when I do this. When I do this, the only person I have to beat every day is myself. When I do this, some days it feels great and some days it is torturous, right? And you can like, it's not a far leap of the imagination to see how sitting in front and trying to crank out a novel like IQ84 is, you can say all the same things about it. I'm on my own. Some days it's torture. Some days it feels great. It's only against myself, etc. You know, these both sound interesting. I think that, um, I mean, of course, Ian did a better job presenting his book, but that's okay. <laughs> I mean, it's real hit or miss sometimes with you guys. And I, I, I've come to accept that. I, I'm really trying to not punish a Thank presentation. I, I, I don't want to punish a book based on the, you know, your failings. You know, sometimes <laughs> Ian goes on and on and on and on, and he just doesn't stop sometimes. And sometimes Joe just forgets to talk about his book entirely. <laughs> I would also like to point out that Ian's book has like characters and like a plot. <laughs> my book also I just realized a little this. easier to talk about than eight essays about running. I just realized mm-hmm. my book has pictures, but, oh. but oh, well, your time's over. But so. they're but they're okay. Full disclosure: they're old photographs, so they're not like fun okay. drawings you can color in. Joe, you have one counterpoint to make to pictures. Mm-hmm. I feel like we should introduce last last last. Yeah, like like final salvo. Yes, exactly. Final salvo to you, Joe. Um, Ian's book is probably longer than 174 pages. Ooh, <laughs> nice. Well played. I couldn't this is think amazing. of a better This is where we, we leave literary merit completely behind and we're just pandering no. to what we know Nick Pander. likes. Ah, I love it. Welcome to Pandering with Nick, the final segment in every new episode moving forward. (laughs) Um, That's good. Uh, Joe, you lose. Um, But only because I really want to read more books with um, elderly uh, grandmas. With sassy old ladies. I don't know if she's sassy, but I assume she's not taking any guff. She is. There's one part part where she gets kind of fed up with all the reporters and so she starts throwing rocks at them oh that's good too that would have been a nice point for the pandering session but you didn't know that i wanted to hear more no about, i didn't um, know we were pandering until it was too yeah. late that's good no, well that's you know now it. It, it was good practice um so uh yeah no your book sounds they both sound pretty good um joe um i'm, I'm interested in because i think that's for me that's what exercise should be it it's not a thing. It just gets you to a place in life that you are happier. Um, so yes. I think that the principle of that is, is interests me. Um, mm. But again, no sassy grandmas. So right, congratulations, right. Ian. I get it. Congratulations, uh, Ian. And congratulations, Lithead, uh, for, for you. Congratulations, and you are welcome. Um, Lithead, we love you. 
We'd love it when you contribute to the show. Um, if you want to contribute by suggesting a theme or suggesting a book, the best places to do that are over at youdon'tknowlitpodcast.com. Um, also, follow us on social. We are everywhere that you would expect to be. We put all sorts of like fun quotes and things um, on our social media, and it's 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 good. Nick does it. It's his contribution to this show. Um, yep, so the only one. We are we are everywhere you expect one. us, except for Parlor. We're not on Parlor. Um, We're not on sorry. We are on OnlyFans, though. (laughs) (laughs) Where you really get to discover our bodies. All right. Um, (laughs) uh, Last thing I would say is if you like the show, suggest it to a dorky friend, uh, suggest it to a bookish friend, suggest it to your librarian friend. Um, Yeah, Mm -hmm. I think that's all I have to say. Congratulations. Or just a librarian. Tell her that her job has been taken by three. Three people from Wisconsin. <laughs> the person, the person who suggested this book, uh, Granny Gra- Grandma Gatewood's Walk, to me is a librarian. So there we are. Uh, congratulations, Grandma Gatewood. Congratulations, James. Uh, I, I read this book and it's great. Uh, I'm going to read a quote about desire. So we talked about why. We talked about sort of the thing that keeps people going, both for Murakami and for um, for Grandma Gatewood. Among those who study the trail, those who know its history inside and out, Gatewood's legacy is indelible. She drew a lot of attention to the Appalachian Trail, said Larry Luxenberg, author of Walking the Appalachian Trail. Her hikes inspired a lot of people. No matter how bad your hike is, how difficult the trail is, you can always point to Grandma Gatewood and say, well, she did it. Beyond the attention and beyond her well-documented criticism that prompted better maintenance and upkeep, Her hikes crumbled the psychological barrier that existed between the American public and this long path through the wilderness. She introduced people to the AT, and at the same time, she made the through hike achievable. It didn't take fancy equipment, guidebooks, training, or youthfulness. It took putting one foot in front of the other five million times. She boasted that she was the only one of the thru-hikers of the trail that really roughed it, and she was probably right, Ed Garvey said before he died. She lacked most of the pieces of equipment that hikers consider absolutely essential, but she possessed that one ingredient, desire, in such full measure that she never really needed the other things. 